It's one thing to be talented, and it's quite another to be good. I say that over and over and over again. You see why on Saturday. But I will let you know why Saturday wasn't really a big deal in the grand scheme of things. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are Locked On Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. All right, welcome to the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Willis. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, Basically, Saturday. We'll just jump right in. Saturday, everybody started melting down. And I'm not 100% sure why they're melting down. I don't know really what is going on and what line of thinking they might have because people that have listened to this podcast for the last six months knew that this was always a possibility. And even if you only started listening last week, we told you this was a possibility. We told you that we wanted to see um, operationally how sloppy it was. It got sloppy in the second half, but I'll tell you why when we come back in just a second. I, but first, I want to let you know, thanks for making the Lockdown On This Podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Do us a favor, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell for notifications, and of course, upvote the video itself. That would make us very happy. Um, our post-game video is up to around 2,000 views by this, by this airing at 7 in the morning. Um, very much thank you very much. And thank you to Mike Espy and Bill Flowers for being a part of the show. It, it was absolutely unbelievable. There were periods of time where I just kept my mouth shut and just let them go. The best thing you could do is just let them go. And that's what I tried to do. I wasn't big on interjecting too much um, when it comes to Mike Espy and Bill Flowers on the postgame show. That's the postcast. Um, it's on the YouTube page. If you want to go back or replay, you can listen to that as well. Now, Saturday wasn't a horrible deal. If you look at the QBR after Saturday, Jackson Dart was seventh. That's dead middle of the pack. But he was the top transfer quarterback. Spencer Radler, I think, was number 12. Um, and you could see how he did. You saw flashes from Jackson Dart. And in the second half, Lane Kiffin wanted to force a passing game. That's what the second half was. It wasn't necessarily um, anything the offense was doing wrong. It was eliminating half the offense to work on the passing game with Jackson Dart because, like it or not, that game was 28-3 completely in hand. I mean, you don't put backups into that point, but that's essentially when the thinking changes. We're at the point now where people are getting upset over an 18-point win over a decent G5 team. Not a good one, but a decent one. They're good enough to get your attention going into a season opener and why I wanted somebody like Troy to be the season opener than Central Arkansas. But I digress. This offense, this Baylor system, Whenever you want to force a pass read, that means you are not really running the offense. You can't just run half of the offense. That's the way this offense works is you do run and pass. There's a there's an option on either one, and it makes it more effective, especially with the speed. Mike Espy and Bill Flowers talked about 
that the coaches' calls were not doing players' favors. And that that's kind of what happened. We condensed the offensive playbook to try and force the pass, and that eliminated us from being able to really run the offense. In the first half, whenever they were running true RPOs and get going, I mean, Jackson Dart was dinking and dunking all over the place, essentially being a top-shelf game manager, which is what we all want, what we need. Getting Quinshawn Judkins and Zach Evans the ball, Ulysses Bentley the ball, letting that run running back room work, letting the offensive line work. If Ole Miss would have decided, and Lane Kiffin is like, no, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. It's working. Ole Miss would have won that game 42-10, to 49-10, somewhere in that ballpark and had over 400 yards rushing. And it's not even close. The second half, them deciding to try and force something essentially kind of broke the offense because in this offense, you can't really do one or the other. When you take the R out of the RPO and everybody knows it's going to be a pass, I'm going to be completely honest. We're not doing super complex things that can work like a 1995 passing offense. The RPO is what makes this offense successful. Now, I do recommend that everybody go back and listen to Mike Espy and Bill Flowers talk about um, the game and what they noticed in it. It, it, it was unbelievably phenomenal, and I, I mean, I was just lucky to be there to be able to hear it. Um, so go back and listen to that. Both of them gushed on for our running back room. Absolutely. Zach Evans, Quinshawn Judkins, those are two men. And Judkins just ran so hard. I got a text message the other night that's like, we should call Judkins the Punisher. And I was like, yeah, it's about right because he runs with the ability of attack, attacking defenders. And I, if you listen to this show for any period of time, I've been high on Quinshawn ever since signing day. He, he was the guy in this class, him and Davidson Igmanosin were the guys in this class that I kept an eye on. Both of them started. Both of them did really well. Tysheem Johnson, by the way, was kind of a legend in the secondary this past weekend. Keep an eye on him. And also, um, Kari Coleman. We had questions about him being able to play a stand-up linebacker. I think they are doing a hybrid defense for him that alternates between a 3-2-6 and a 4-2-5. It, it is really interesting to see. But there's a lot of stuff they're doing. But I think that is what they're doing. Sometimes you see Kari line up at linebacker. He's doing absolutely fine. A lot of A-gap stuff. He is super quick. And then he also lines up on the defensive end where he can get after the quarterback. He finished with five TFLs and two tackle, or two sacks. And it, it, phenomenal. Just absolutely phenomenal. I believe um, Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger said that Ole Miss had keep, keep they've kept six straight teams under 21 points. That's the longest such streak since 99. Um, that is pretty cool. And for people that say that Ole Miss's defense can't stop a nosebleed, there you go. Central Florida should struggle again as well, but the defense is going to get better and better and better. That running game is going to get better and better and better. The game's going to get shorter, shorter, and shorter. And Ole Miss is going to win games 28 to 10, 
35 to 17 as opposed to shootouts if they're leaning on the running game and the defense. They're going to cut down on possessions because they're act, they they can't. Now, as the four, as far as the quarterback goes, I thought Jackson Dart did fine. He threw one bad interception. People are going to harp on that because that was the, oh, I, see, I told you so moment that some people have when it comes to Jackson Dart and turnovers. But after starting out one for four or something on the first series, he completed like seven of eight passes. Um, and by the time that they just started whipping the ball down the field, he was he was 13 of 17 or something like that. And he did a pretty good job running the offense. Now, there's little things that Lane Kiffin said in the postgame. He talked about the um, speeding Jackson dart up, which means he needs to recognize where the RPO is quicker. So if you pull the ball, if you get the read to pull the ball, the ball needs to come out right now, not wait a beat and then the ball comes out. Because if you wait that beat, they're a little bit closer to a defender and that window is closed. That's what he was talking about there. And all in all, it was it was a good first first game. It was not that bad. It's an 18-point win over a G5 opponent. I don't care that they necessarily didn't cover. Um, unless you have money on the game, that, that's not a concern. The fact that Lane Kiffin decided to start working on things like a preseason game in the second half should tell you how in control that game was. I don't care about yards. I don't care about anything else. I just care about winning the game and winning it comfortably. This game was never uncomfortable. I mentioned last week this game could get uncomfortable and be uncomfortable for a half. This game was never uncomfortable. And because of that, they were able to do a little bit of different stuff. Now, the way Lane Kiffin is um, handling the quarterback situation, I do not agree with. Not even a little bit. It might work out. It might work out for his benefit. But I do not agree with the way that they're handling. I think if Jackson start start at game one, he he needed to start game two. He needs as many reps as possible. And the fact that he started game one, you do not put your backup in and start game one. You put your better quarterback in against the better non-conference opponent to to make sure you win the game. But all in all, Jackson Dart did fine. It's a John Parker Wilson, A.J. McCarron, Greg McElroy scale of quarterback play this year at Ole Miss. You want to be A.J. McCarron, which is the elite game manager, as opposed to the John Parker Wilson is just a good game manager. That's what we're dealing with at quarterback this year. Jackson Dart is not going to be 2021 Matt Corral. Get that out of your head. Don't even think that. And anybody that was expecting that, I think, kind of question this agenda was on pre-scheduled. But he is similar to 2019 Matt Corral. He is similar to 2018 Matt Corral. A lot of water left to flow under that bridge. So we need to develop him. We need to do what we need to do. But we can do it. We have time. We have three more games until Kentucky. And Kentucky just ran for 50 yards against Miami of Ohio. Will Levis has a QBR finished 11th this week in QBR. 
So Kentucky's good. They got Florida this week. We'll see how good because Florida had a big win over Utah as well. Um, but we'll see exactly where this goes. Anyway, if you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built does it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite. Cookie Joe Chunk Puffs have a light and chewy texture, real chocolate cookie cookie dough chumps, chunks, and of course they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. So what's great about Built is that all of their bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. You're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff, whether you want need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or you just need to grab a quick bite. Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar. So here's your offer. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off at built.com. All right, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including iTunes and Spotify. Do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say. Just make sure it's a five-star review. If you do that, it'll help others find the show. We might not be your cup of tea, but we might be somebody. So please leave a five-star review. Now, today, lines come out. It's all about the lines for week two. And 90% of these, we got lines from Bet Online. Um, and I think two we had to get from other sources. But their lines will be similar whenever Bet Online comes out with them. They're just not out at the time of recording. So we needed to do that. So here are your lines for week two Alabama is a 19.5 point favorite at Texas. Um, Quinn Ewers had a day, got his car towed after his first game, by the way. Um, but Alabama should go into Darrell K. Royal Stadium um, plenty angry, and I'm, I kind of look forward to seeing that game. South Carolina and Arkansas. Arkansas is a 9.5-point favorite over South Carolina, who struggled with um, Georgia State over the weekend. Wake Forest is favored by 7 at Vanderbilt. That's kind of a low line. That's one that could be um, closer than the experts think. And Vandy has a legit shot of going 4-0 in their first four games. It's absolutely impressive. Missouri is at Kansas State. Um, Kansas State is an 8.5-point favorite in that game. Kansas State plays football like it's 1995. I love it. App State at Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a 16.5-point favorite. You saw App State have two shots on two-point conversions to be in the game, uh, to win the game, and then to send it to overtime at against North Carolina over the weekend. Tennessee's favored by five at Pittsburgh. Tennessee's got a good ball club. Henning Hooker, I think, is the second-best quarterback in the conference. I think Tennessee as a whole has a chance to be pretty good in this game. It's one I'm going to keep an eye on. Sanford and Georgia is a no-line game. Georgia is going to be um, a heavy favorite to win that game. They'll win it straight up easily. I'm not even worried about it. Florida is a five-and-a-half-point favorite over Kentucky. This is the first 
um, SEC game of the week um, with South Carolina and Arkansas. It'll be interesting to see if Florida has any kind of a letdown or drop-off um, after their huge win over number 7 Utah over the weekend. Kentucky did not look very inspired against Miami of Ohio. Uh, it's, it's one of those games where Florida could actually be up for Kentucky, and Kentucky could be kind of reeling a little bit. Central Arkansas is in Vault-Hemingway Stadium Saturday evening. Um, no line on this game. This is a game where if um, UCA is even in this game in the fourth quarter, Ole Miss has a little bit of problems, and um, the postgame show should be interesting. San Jose, San Jose State is at Auburn. Auburn's a 22-point favorite. Kind of interested in seeing this game. You know, I want to see how it breaks out. Um, Southern is at LSU. That's Southern University of Baton Rouge at LSU. No line. LSU is playing, played Sunday night against Florida State, um, but I don't expect them to have too much trouble with LSU. And Mississippi State goes on the road, and they're eight-and-a-half-point eight favorites at Arizona. It's going to be 8 million degrees, um, and it should be an interesting thing. I I want to see what happens. Memphis decided to play Mississippi State's offense straight up, at least for three quarters, and that offense burned them. What will Arizona do? That is the question. But those are your week two lines, and... Yeah, it, it's, it's all pretty good. I think Kentucky and Florida and Auburn and San Jose State are the two lines that I got from other sources. But those lines are right about what the bet online lines are. I look forward to watching that Vandy at Wake Forest game. I think that could be interesting. It, it should be a lot of fun to see. And I, I really just genuinely look forward to seeing Vandy, see if they can get that third win. It, it should be some excitement for Clark Lee. It's a big deal for Vanderbilt. I think Vandy might go four and eight, five and seven, but they're going to do it with excitement. They're going to do it with gusto, and they're going to do it actually pointing in a direction of getting better. So that is interesting to see, and I look forward to following Vandy as the season goes on. The other games that I'm really looking at is the Texas and Alabama game, the Steve Sarkeesian, Nick Saban. Anytime a Saban assistant is involved, we got to pay attention to that game. And then there's the two conference games. There's Arkansas, South Carolina, um, and there are there's um, Kentucky and Florida. There's going to be uh, three teams from the East and one from the West. The West can take a jump, take a step, if they can somehow pull off that game against South Carolina. And then if they don't, they could have a two-way tie on the Eastern side of the division. Now, Florida beats Kentucky, that, that isn't good for Kentucky. If Kentucky beats Florida, it doesn't necessarily say something. Billy Napier got his season one win in week one. That was a real good game. And the way he is using Anthony Richardson, he's found a way to put, make him extremely dangerous. And it should be good to see. But week one was an exciting week. And, and there's a t-shirt that I have coming. That's, it, there's only so many Saturdays. Make the most of them. And that is my mantra on that one. Um, enjoy that. And we're going to have a postcast, a postcast right after the Central Arkansas game. The guest analyst will be 
Derek Vandegrift and Tom Vanderford. They're going to stay up and talk about the football game. Like I said, you guys were phenomenal. You have to be a subscriber to participate in the chat. That's the only thing. You have to be a subscriber to participate in the chat. If you do that, you will be good to go. Anyway, we got John Garcia is going to talk wide receivers when we come back. So stick around. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. So do us a favor. Mash that button that says subscribe. Um, hit the bell for notifications. And, of course, upvote the video itself. We'd appreciate it. Anyway, I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. I am here with John Garcia. We are going through talking recruiting. We're talking wide receivers today, John. How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. You know, college football's here in full swing now, so no complaints on my end. Exactly. It, 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 it's going to be a lot of fun. I guess last night, the backyard brawl coming back uh, after 11 years, an amazing game that kind of overshadowed the the SEC openers that were kind of blowouts, but that was expected. Uh, but let's get started. We're going to talk about the um, wide receiver position and break down and let people know how the recruitment of like Braylon Brown and Malik Heath and, and those guys in the Ole Miss wide receiver room. Well, yeah, I think this Ole Miss receiver room is is a microcosm of college football. You've got this group of organically recruited guys that the rebels targeted out of high school and and won out for um you know particularly some of the young receivers on the roster and then the influx of talent is a combination of of course high school recruiting and the good old transfer portal which is something that is is as prevalent throughout college football as as we would expect and and it doesn't look like it's going the other way wide receiver was a huge uh target area for lane kiffin uh, this past off season, and they added a bunch of great talent from uh, Jalen Robinson from UCF, who's one of the twitchier, faster receivers on the roster. Uh, Braylon Brown came over from Louisville. He is more uh, of a smaller and more explosive slot type of wide receiver. That's Jordan upside. Watkins. Jordan Watkins, you misspoke there. Oh, Jordan Watkins, excuse me. <laughs> Braylon Brown was Louisville was recruiting Braylon Brown. But that is not how, how he uh, jumped in. Yeah, so you brought in Jordan Watkins, Braylon Brown. Mm. Just a huge group uh, of pass catchers over the last uh, six to twelve months or so to replace a lot of the talent. Obviously, Michael Trigg. I don't know if we talk about him as a wide receiver mm -hmm. technically, but you know, kid out of Tampa who I first saw play basketball, and everybody was like, "This is the next two sports star." And all of a sudden, he's at USC as a tight end, transfers over to Ole Miss, and it looks like he'll be one of the premier pass catchers uh, on the roster. So I just think it is, again, it's a great blend and microcosm of college football because you've brought this group of pass catchers together from all over the place, whether it's geographical locations or the schools they attended before becoming Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, it's just kind of all over the place. And, and again, I think it reiterates the importance of staying in the race for receivers even if you or for players in general even if you don't win the initial recruitment and maintaining some communication thereafter doesn't always mean you're going to flip them but just kind of ending things on a high note in recruiting is more important than it's ever been because there's just such a high clip of players that either reconsider while still in high school 
or certainly after you know they start their college career because of different circumstances. So uh, just a fascinating group of, of young, exciting, and most importantly, very different uh, pass catchers that, that Ole Miss is going to trot out here in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. And Braylon Brown, you mentioned him earlier. Um, he was in that 2020 cycle, that weird yeah. cycle. Can you tell Ole Miss fans what they have with Braylon Brown on the roster? Yeah, this is an explosive, productive, and pretty polished wide receiver. You know, coming out of St. Thomas Aquinas, that's one of the better high schools in the country when it comes to Division One uh, production. Uh, and those guys are, are usually high floor prospects. And I think with Braylon, you see a lot of that in his route running, his ability to be reliable as a pass catcher at the catch point. And there's some juice there as well. He's, he's maybe not the, the twitchiest guy on the roster, but he's one who could absolutely make a guy miss and, and create a big game thereafter. He had multiple 200-yard games his senior year of high school. There was at one point it felt like he was going to be this, this totally national recruit you know, Miami, Texas A&M, uh, Michigan, Georgia. It, it, he had this huge late surge in his uh, recruiting because he was extremely productive as a senior. So those coaching staffs that value the senior seasons, which are becoming a, a little bit fewer and far between, really kind of doubled down on, on Braylon Brown. So it was a really big win eventually for the Rebels. And, yeah, he's, he's kind of waited his turn. Like you said, that class was – it was hard. It was hard to evaluate that class because it was all digitally. So some of these recruitments took longer to blossom and ultimately conclude. And I think Braylon's was, was one of those there in the end. But uh, a polished, explosive wide receiver who's going to be reliable and productive, more of a high floor than high ceiling player. And that's OK because you need variance, just like you do from a size and skill set standpoint. I think even from a, a timeline standpoint, you need some variance in the guys who are going to take more time to develop and those who are a little bit closer to being ready to go day one. All right, we're going to come into the 20 class of 2023 right now. Who is the receiver? Who are the receivers that Ole Miss is recruiting right now? We'll get to Aiden Williams, obviously, in a second. But who are, who are the uncommitteds that are out there? Yeah, two real important names that we're following the most closely right now relative to Ole Miss. Certainly, you start with Caden Lee coming out of Kennesaw Mountain uh, in the Atlanta area, uh, Cobb County of Georgia. Again, kind of like we talked about with Braylon, just ultra reliable. A guy who is consistent. The floor is sky high here. He is an elite route runner. He is an elite pass catcher at the catch point. A guy who wins in between the margins without any one gaudy elite physical trait but combine and package together he really has the makings of of one of these slot receivers that goes to college and just you look up and he's got you know 70 catches a year he's one of those kind of productive players nothing big or or particularly exciting or flashy but all together runs well enough elite hands elite route runner and a kid who understands how to manipulate a defensive back, whether it's flipping leverage or, or getting him to turn his hips to come back underneath, what have you. That short to intermediate game is where he thrives best. And obviously we know Ole Miss always wants that counter to the big natural outside wide receiver. They want it with a tight end and, you know, with the Elijah Moore type of slot receiver to combine uh, with that middle presence. And I think if Caden Lee picks – Ole Miss, which looks like a, a relatively you know possible option here, I think he would fit in that role quite well. Oklahoma, Georgia, South Carolina, a couple other schools that are in the mix, um, but Caden's taking it slow. You know he hasn't taken, I believe, 
any official visits. I know he's going to be back in Oxford uh, once again uh, during the season. Um, and I think he's going to start narrowing things down here going forward. Uh, but I think Ole Miss is in really great shape again, really from the outset of, of Lane Kiffin targeting him. You know, he's been sky high on the Rebels because of that reputation and because of the production at the position over the last couple of years. Uh, and then a bit more of a wild card from the Ole Miss perspective is Tyler Williams. He's got uh, much more tangible details in his recruitment. He's only got one official visit left. He was going to take it to Ole Miss this coming weekend to kick off the season, but reports came out midweek that he was changing course and going to go check out Miami unofficially on Saturday. So two things. One, it potentially leaves the door open if Ole Miss can get that final visit, and that would be closer to his September 27th decision date. So I think if if you've got a puncher's chance, you want to take the last swing. So that's still possible for Ole Miss. But uh, either way, he has kind of felt like this Georgia lean for quite some time. And everybody, Texas A&M, Clemson, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Miami now, everyone's kind of been chasing Georgia from a perceptional standpoint for uh, the top 50 overall recruit. Both of these guys, by the way, Caden Lee and Tyler Williams, SI 99 recruits, some of the best uh, top five or so at their positions. Tyler as a conventional wide receiver, Caden Lee as a top five slot receiver in the country. So no surprise to see Ole Miss gunning for some of the best in the country and also no surprise to see them reciprocating some of that interest. But with Tyler Williams, the question becomes, you're going to Miami this weekend. What about thereafter? Because he's already taken the other four official visits. So if he does take another official you got to feel decent about Ole Miss' chances of, of rekindling that relationship and getting him on campus one time before the, the 27th when he makes his verbal commitment. Do you think that Ole Miss might have been trying to talk him into coming to a different game other than Troy? Maybe Kentucky October 1st? Or may, use the official visit on one of those bigger weekends where the Grove is going to be jumping? You, that's always a part of the strategy, especially when you're going up against some of the schools that we've talked about for Tyler Williams. Yeah, and I think there's a sense, like we said, there's a sense that Georgia is in pr prime position for September 27th. So you almost kind of strategize and say, well, maybe the recruitment can continue after their verbal commitment. And yeah, you can come when, when the, the weather starts to turn a little bit and the grove gets a little more lit, as, as the kids say, uh, the atmosphere ramps up as SEC play continues. You know, that's something that a lot of programs want to keep in their back pocket because some of these recruitments you just know aren't going to be done when the verbal commitment is made. A lot of them extend all the way to December, all the way towards that early national signing day. So uh, depending on what happens with some other targets on the board, you, you wonder how much Ole Miss is pushing for a later visit from Tyler, even with that commitment date coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Ole Miss did get a commitment from Aiden Williams, receiver out of Ridgeland. We talked about him um, either a week or two ago. It, it was relatively recent. Um, any update on what's going on with Aiden? Anything you can tell us about him? Yeah, he's going to start to get back on campus. He's kicked off his senior season after making that commitment, which is kind of the structure a lot of recruits um, want uh, to accomplish before their senior season begins. Uh, and, and he's another one where I wonder how many other programs are going to continue recruiting him. It was a heavy list of schools at the top there, uh, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Georgia, some of the same schools we're talking about for some of these other recruits uh, at the position as well. But in-state kid, uh, a really big and important get 
for the Rebels in keeping him in state because there have been, you know, a couple notable misses, John Slaughter, Dante Dowdle uh, among them at the top. So really good perceptionally for Ole Miss to get back in with some of the top prospects in the state. Um, and then maybe just as importantly, as these Mississippians have jumped in with the Rebels, you know, Sunserine Perkins has reciprocated some of that congratulations and celebration with Aiden Williams about playing for the home state program and putting on. Um, so for those of you tracking his Twitter avatar, it's switched back to an old Miss uniform as is his header. So, so maybe the possibilities of holding off Alabama at the 11th hour look a little bit better for Perkins. Uh, so yeah, this offensive class in the state is strong uh, and the defensive class led by Perkins is as well. So that one, two punch perceptionally, really strong for the Rebels because uh, they're both really good players, high floor players that I think um, even if they don't improve a whole lot physically or technically within their games could still impact this roster basically day one or year two at the latest. So I think those are two very important perceptional and positional gets for, for Lane Kiffin. All right. Thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Now for your second listen Go check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview of 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. It has local team experts from Locked On and Odyssey all combining into one NFL preview. Search the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. John, thank you so much. We, um, we're going to do it again next week. I think next week we might get into the offensive line a little bit and get in the weeds a little bit. Beautiful. Let's do it. All right, John Garcia, talking recruiting.